0: Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. Today, uh, we uh, start a new uh, series uh, that is uh, called Join the Revolution. Uh, Today, our church, at least the Western church, uh, has a big problem. Uh, We have become apathetic and disillusioned and empty uh, because this happy meal, uh, narcissistic, God exists primarily for me, toothless gospel, uh, this um, uh, type of uh, movement of prosperity religion uh, just doesn't work. And it's leaveed, uh, left Christians and the church as a whole disillusioned largely in the Western church. Some statistics that are rather sobering. Only 30% of those who were recently uh, asked, only 30% find that the church is meaningful in their life. Another 30% said it is irrelevant, has no relevance whatsoever. And 40% say they are completely ambivalent towards church, that so they could either take it or leave it. So really, you have to look at that. That 70% of those polled look at the church and say can live with it, can live without it. Of those who do attend church, uh, only two out of ten said that they feel that they have a close personal relationship with God, that they feel the nearness of God. That is, that is 20%, 80% of those who are attending church say, I, I, don't, I don't feel any connection with God. And when millennials were asked what is the problem with the local church, their response was is that God is absent from the church. And so we have a a struggle, and that if we're not careful, the church runs the risk of just becoming some uh, historic curiosity, some uh, irrelevant religious sideshow, much as the church has gone in Europe. I coached soccer. I told you before at Willow Canyon, we had an exchange student there from Sweden, and eventually the kids asked me uh, what I do, and uh, this uh, kid from Sweden said, "You know, what do you do?" And I said, "Uh, "I'm a pastor," and he said, "You're a priest." I said, "No, I'm a pastor." and uh, the next question is usually the same. They're like, and you get paid for that? I'm like, well, yeah. And uh, so he said, uh, started talking. I said, well, you know, do people, uh, aren't there churches in Sweden? He said, yeah, but no one goes to them. And he's largely right. I mean, in Europe, the once uh, famous churches that were packed with people now are dwindling down to where nobody attends them. And uh, most would say that the American church is some 30 years behind the European church in moving the same direction. And so I want to start this morning by asking the question, is this what Jesus intended for his church? More than that, because you are the church, is this what Jesus intended for you? Now, I want you to think about that because maybe you fall into that 70% of the you know, church is kind of irrelevant or even that 80% where I, I really don't sense any connection with God. is this what Jesus intended for you? That your quote God experience would be coming into a building, someone hands you a bulletin, you sit down, you stand up, you sing a few songs, someone uh, delivers a polished message or maybe not so polished message and uh, on your way out you shake a few hands and uh, you a you, uh, closing prayer, you grab Sunday lunch, Sunday nap and you rinse and repeat. I mean is that what Jesus came to establish when God stepped out of eternity and stepped into human flesh to reveal something to us? So how did we take the most radical teachings of the most polarizing man who ever lived in history and land on this easy-bake, free cater to catered-to-my-needs religious experience that most who would call themselves Christians experience? Read the red-letter words of Jesus, and you will quickly discover that Jesus never intended to simply bring about another religion. He, he had no interest to uh, bring about another religious experience. matter of fact, the religious uh, uh, circles or experiences uh, in Roman, uh, Roman time was heavily polytheistic. There were all kinds of gods and all kinds of goddesses and, and deities. Some left over from the Greeks and the Romans brought on their own. And, and, and there was a plethora of gods. Jesus never intended to simply add another religious experience to an already crowded space. What he did intend if you read through any of the Gospels, was a, a, a revolution of sorts, a revolt against the religious status quo, an uprising that would challenge our religious assumptions. What he did uh, intend was an insurrection that would overthrow and upset the spiritual forces that held all of humanity captive. Jesus describes his invasion and rescue mission this way in Luke 4. We'll put it on the screen. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And he has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the favor or to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, it says, look, if you want to know what a revolution looks like, not a religion. If you want to know what a revolution looks like, this is what it looks like. The poor are preached the good news. And what is the good news? The good news is that God has provided a way of restoration for those who were separated from him. And he says, here's the good news. The poor receive the good news. Not just the rich or the up-and-comers, but even the down-and-outers. First century uh, Christianity, or the first century Roman culture at this time. Much as it's been throughout history, the poor were marginalized and neglected. And often they were seen to be at a lower state in, in poverty because of their sin or because of their parents' sin. And so their condition was not just a condition of being without. Their condition was one of, you did something to upset God, and now his punishment to you is poverty. And Jesus said, this is the revolution of my kingdom coming among you. And it's not just for the rich or the good-looking or those who have it all together or those who have figured out every nuance of life. Jesus steps into a cesspool of religious Uh, 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 religiosity with a plethora of gods and goddesses all who marginalize the poor and jesus steps into that environment and says no more he steps in and says my revolution will actually deliver something to the poor he says you want to know what the revolution looks like the captives are released he says the emotionally captive and the mentally captive of fears and phobias and painful memories and those who are are, are captive by uh, demonic tyranny he says I've come to deliver something to them. He says it's recovery of sight to the blind, not just the physically blind, but the spiritually blind, that this is what the revolution of my kingdom looks like. He says when the revolution comes, my kingdom will overthrow a kingdom of darkness and the oppressed will be released from bondage. He says this is my revolution. The oppression from others be released. The oppression that you have placed upon yourselves because of bad decisions, released. The oppression of thoughts and memories that you can be released. This is the radical teachings of a revolutionary. Over our falsehood, he brings kingdom truth. Over judgment and hatred, he brings love. And over death, he brings life eternal. And over the demonic, he institutes freedom. And over guilt and shame, he brings release and forgiveness. His entire life was about an expression of this revolution. But he wasn't the only one carrying the message. He gathers together together, 12 other guys that he empowers and says, now you go and you carry the revolution. You carry the message of the revolution just as you have seen me carry. And if you've read any of the Gospels, you know that these guys did not have it all together. They're constantly making mistakes. They're arguing amongst themselves who's the greatest Jesus is always asking them, how long must I be with you? Oh, you of little faith. He says, let me go over this again for you. And yet, this is the team Jesus gathered together because that's the way that God works. He gathers ordinary people, you, me, ordinary people, and says, if you submit to my kingdom, I can make you an extraordinary carrier of the message that the revolution brings. It's how he's always worked. And through their efforts, the early church grew to not only become the largest, but the most influential community in the Roman Empire. And this is the message of the revolution. And now that message rests on our backs. As it will rest upon the backs of those who come after us, as it rests on the back of those who came before us, it sits upon our shoulders. Meaning this, that we should be the ones saying that the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. And release the oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what Jesus says. That the message that I carried, I passed on to others. It's now passed on to you. And if you don't carry it, I'll find someone who will. But it rests upon our shoulders. Now I want you to contrast that statement with what your life looked like last week. Contrast the statement of the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He anointed me to preach the good news and proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and release the oppressed. And now contrast that with what your life was last week, last month, or last year. And most of us would say, I, I can see why Christianity is in such bad shape. Because most of us, we have not stepped into the revolution. And here's where most of us stand Here's where most Jesus followers stand. The core issue in our walk with Jesus is we're not sure we want to be part of the revolution. We want to be part of religion. Because religion in and of itself is, has an act that is for me where I go and sit and I consume and it's good and then I leave. Religion has a self-contained set of values that we filter our morality through where we can look down on culture or we filter political candidates or other people through. And religion has an element that focuses on what's best for me and what do I get out of it. Most are quick to join religion. But most are not quick to join the revolution. And this is what we talk about today. Pray with me, Lord. uh, A subject today that was close to your heart is your primary message was the revolution of the kingdom message. Your primary uh, message was the kingdom of God breaking in among us. Not to have another religious experience, but to actually step into the presence of God. And so would you speak to us about leaving The comforts of religion and embracing the revolution message that you came to deliver. Would you speak and stir in us and give us creative ideas on what it means for me as an individual. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's contrast religion and revolution. Religion is comfortable. And a revolution is painful. Religion is tweaked and edited over time and it's bent until it lands on something that is comfortable and good for its followers. That's what happens to religion. That we will find something that feels good to us and that fills a need that is within us. Whether we find a church or we find a a pastor or a guru or a teacher or some universal cosmic energy, we will find something that is good for me. We'll cling to parts of religious teachings that resonate within us. Or we will create a designer God that reflects my image. We'll choose a religion based upon uh, what helps me in my kingdom and getting my kingdom forward. Something that gets more of what I want or more of what I desire. Whatever that more is. It's why the prosperity gospel today is so popular. Because it resonates with someone that I want a religion that gets me more. And that's what happens. Religion is bent into into a form that feels good to us and that meets my needs for my own personal kingdom. Someone once said that often our ideas of God tell us more about ourselves than him. Which is really true if you think about it. A revolution, on the other hand, is really not about comfort because it's not about you. It's about a cause that is greater than you. A revolution is not about your kingdom, but it is about his kingdom that has come. Look at the first words of Jesus when he inaugurates his revolution uh, talk or his kingdom talk. Mark one ten. he says, The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus, he was always talking about this idea of a kingdom, because the first century hearers understood what a kingdom was about. It was the Roman Empire, it was the Roman Kingdom, and everything of the Roman Empire infiltrated every part of your life, meaning that if you lived under the Roman Kingdom, you submitted and yielded your rights to that of the Roman Empire. And in a very real way, when Jesus kept talking about this idea of a kingdom, what he was saying is that I've come to establish a new kingdom. And if you want to be a part of this kingdom, this kingdom revolution, you must surrender yourself to the king of the kingdom. And here's the, here it is. And sometimes it can be painful. Because religion is about our comfort, and what feels good. And Jesus says the revolution, sometimes it can be really painful. In other words, he says you must die to yourself. And you're gonna be asked to take up your cross and follow me. And some of you will be hated because they hate me and so they will hate you. You will be asked to let go of everything that you claim as your own. You will decrease so I will increase. It it will require that I have full access to every part of your life, not just an hour on Sunday. Religion is comfortable, but Jesus, if you look at what he said, there was nothing comfortable about it. His call was to come and die to yourself. That's the message of the revolution. Look at the next one. A religion is personal. A revolution is communal. Religion is always about me and, and mine. And Don't push your religion on me and I won't push my religion on you. Don't question my religion because it's personal. It's, it, it's mainly about me. Now listen. While a relationship with God is personal, it's expression is always communal. While your relationship with God is personal, its expression should be communal. In other words, God doesn't enter into your kingdom just to be part of what you're doing. He says, you enter into my kingdom, and when you enter my kingdom, I am going to join you together with others in my kingdom that together you will be able to carry on the message in your community. Peter says it like this, 1 Peter 2 5. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, and I love that word, that phrase, living stones are being built together as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This idea of we're building. These things together, the church is being built with, not by dead stones, but by living stones that I'm, I'm building this community in my kingdom that it's communal, and then that community will go out into their community and represent my message. A revolution, it's always communal, meaning we're in this together, and a revolution is only as strong as the people are united in its cause. Plagues and fires and natural disasters and devastations from wars were a semi-regular occurrence uh, in the early church. And early Christians uh, had played a large part in bringing relief to these things. Uh, what distinguished Christians from other religions or other, uh, uh, others devoted to other religions was their response to these all too frequent calamities. Let me read you uh, a quote uh, from Stark who has uh, studied this uh, extensively. He says the power of Christianity lay not in its promise of otherworldly compensations for the suffering of this life, as so often has been proposed. No, the crucial change that took place in the third century was the rapidly spreading awareness of a faith that delivered potent antidotes to life's miseries here and now. The truly revolutionary aspect of Christianity lay in the moral imperative such as love, love, one's neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you would have them do unto you it's more blessed to give than to receive and when you did it to the least of these brethren you did it unto me these were not just slogans he says for the early believers members did nurse the sick even during epidemics they did support orphans and widows and the elderly and the poor they did concern themselves with the lot of uh, with the lot of slaves In short, he says, Christians created a minor welfare state in an empire which, for the most part, lacked social services. It was these responses to the long-term standing misery of life in antiquity, not uh, the onset of worse conditions that were the material changes that inspired Christian growth. But these material benefits were entirely spiritual in in origin. In other words, he says, look... Uh, A religion is is personal, but once you enter the revolution, your eyes are lifted off of yourself and look out into the community. And what the early church did best is to look out in a community that was dying and was wounded and and, and was literally dying from plagues and wars and, and starvation. And it was the early church, while others were running, it was the early church that remained behind and said, how can we best serve our community? And it's the best picture that you can find for a revolution being communal. Revolutions are always communal, meaning it's not you, it's us. It's not us versus them, it's us for them. And if Reveal would live by this small phrase, it would transform our church. It's not me, it's we together. Because the revolution is always communal. Here's the next one. Religion is sanitary. Revolutions are messy. Religion has everything in its place. Everything is documented, laid out nicely in a book. This is the way we've already always done it. This is what we're used to. It's been like this for a hundred years. It's clean and predictable. Don't rock the boat. Maintain the status quo. Everyone plays nice. But revolutions are messy. Blood is shed, starting with Jesus first. At times, a revolution seems like controlled chaos. Sometimes you make it up as you go and relationships sometimes are severed because of a new kingdom alliance that you try and you fail and you try and you fail until you try and you succeed. Because religion is sanitary but a revolution is always messy. Listen to what Stark says here. In 362, when Emperor Julian launched a campaign to revive paganism, he recognized that to do so It would be necessary to match Christian benevolence. In a letter uh, to a prominent pagan priest, Julian wrote, I think that when the poor happened to be neglected and overlooked by the priests, meaning our priests, the impious uh, Galileans observed this and devoted themselves to benevolence. They, meaning the Christians, support not only their poor, but ours as well. Everyone can see that our people lack aid from us, but his challenge to the temple's to match the Christian benevolence, ask the impossible, paganism was utterly incapable of generating this commitment needed to motivate such behavior Now, why were they unable to match the Christian benevolence? because religion is is about me and it 's sanitary, and none of the pagan priests wanted to get their hands dirty, and nobody wanted to risk the chance of possibly getting infected themselves and No one was willing to lay down their life for a cause greater than themselves because religion is sanitary and revolutions are messy and you go to places that no one else wants to go. Look at the next one. It comes off of that one where religion is safe and revolutions are risky. Religion has a plan for everything. It's designed so we're comfortable. We give a little bit of money and a little bit of time and a little bit of this, just enough so we still feel safe and we're not stretched too much. But a revolution asks who's willing to die for this cause? Who's willing to put their neck on the line to go so far that you're willing to give everything for the cause because a revolution is always risky. Listen to this great example. It was a tribute given to the heroic nursing efforts of local Christians in 260 AD. He said, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounding love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another because it's communal. Heedless of... Danger they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. I mean, you want to talk about a revolution being risky. Here's where men and women, just like you and I, who were in a culture where people were dying and said, while others are leaving, we will stay behind and minister the love of Christ, even at our own peril. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you risked something for the kingdom? When is the last time that you really risked something for the kingdom? When is the last time that you stepped out of this nice, comfortable, packaged religion and said, I'm going to do something that is uncomfortable to me, that goes against what my flesh wants, but I am willing to give my all for the cause of the revolution? Look at this last one. Religion is passive. Revolutions are offensive. Religion eventually falls into this idea of let's not offend anyone, let's play nice, it's docile, it's... Uh, inactive, it's lethargic let's sit around and talk about the good old days when God did something great and religion gets part way there but religion always backs off because it's afraid of driving off its core but if you look at the revolution of Jesus he was always saying hard statements He was saying things that upset the people so much that he drove them off that they went and gathered other people to try to come against him and kill him because for Jesus, it wasn't about passivity. It was about, I will speak the truth in love, but some of you will be offended and that's just what will happen in a revolution. Jesus was anything but passive, always challenging his core. Said things that angered people. He challenged their core beliefs. Civilized, passive religion does not leave a mark on its world. Uh, one, of my, one of my favorite series of movies is Rocky. Uh, and in one of the Rockies, it may have been like Rocky 48 or something like that, um, Mick's having a conversation with Rocky, and he says, I'm not going to train you for this next fight. And Rocky's like, what are you talking about? And, and he, he's, you know, Mick turns to him, and he, uh, he's like, this guy's a rocking machine, or however he says it. And he, and he tells him, he says, you haven't been hungry since. And he starts going at him, and Rocky's like, what are you talking about? You know, so he's like, I'm hungry. And then at the end of the scene, Mick sits down next to him and he says, Rock, the worst thing happened to you that can happen to a fighter. Somewhere along the line, you got civilized. And like, somewhere along the line, the church just became civilized and let's just play nice. And look, I'm not, God's not telling you to go out and be an idiot for Jesus and to upset people. But we got into this place where we became passive and civilized, where everything fits into a little box. And the revolution that Jesus came to bring does not fit in that box. And I wonder if sometimes Jesus would say, the worst thing that could happen to a church happened to you. You got civilized. And you became passive. And and you were so afraid of offending anyone that that, that you were afraid to, to take a stand on anything, for any cause, for any purpose. Religion is passive. And a revolution, they're always offensive. So let, let me just share with you a little bit about uh, what a revolution looks like uh, in our church with the, the time that we have left. Uh, recently, uh, the beginning of the year, uh, we took some uh, students, uh, high school uh, students, middle school students, to Mexico. Uh, and I got some pictures here to, to show you what they did. Uh, this is my son, and Morgan sent this one because uh, she knows how I hate cats. And uh, so this is him holding a uh, furry demon, apparently. All right, moving on. So here's, here's what they did. They went out and they, uh, a, a team of our youth went out and they poured concrete. And uh, Morgan said that they the, uh, had pop-ups that they would do church under. And so our students went in pouring concrete, mixing it by hand, and they poured a slab so the people that would come in for church didn't have to sit on the, on the dirt anymore. And then, look, go to the next image there. They put up a fence around the perimeter of the church prior uh, to this. There was an old fence that was rusted and the poles were rusted and had a 50-year-old piece of barbed wire going around the top. And uh, our kids took all that down and, and, and planted the new post, mixed in the cement and standing it up so, so there would be a, a new fence and some safety and some security for uh, the, the church people. Go to the next image. We partnered with another organization to build someone a home who did not have a place of of this nature to be able to stay in. Go to the next one. A couple images of uh, our team there. Look, Morgan told me, uh, and then I have another thing to share. Morgan said, this was by far the hardest uh, mission trip we've ever taken. She said, they worked these kids so incredibly hard. Hard. My son came back with one story. He said, Dad, someone asked me to help them get some water. And I thought, yeah, I'll help you get some water. And he's thinking I'm going to get a, you know, a gallon jug from the local uh, uh, convenience store. And no, it's a mile walk with five-gallon jugs that they filled up and that he's walking back with. And here's the thing. When my son got back, I was like, how's the trip? He said, Dad, it was the most incredible thing I've ever been on. Morgan wrote this uh, that she wanted me to read to you. She said, next time you hear adults say that kids have no work ethics these days, send them to Mexico with me. She said, not one of our students complained about the workload and it was tedious and it was manual labor. She said, in fact, we had to pull kids off the site to make them come eat lunch and make them go home and shower because they wouldn't stop working. See, there are, ele- there, there are elements of this. That's part of the revolution. Revolution. Of people that are willing to say look i'll get my hands dirty and it's going to cost me something and i'll leave the comfort of my home and i'll go somewhere else and it's not going to be a beach experience my butt's going to be kicked and they loved it i got an email from uh, the youth pastor one of the other teams that went with us and he said you need to know that the kids from your youth group were incredible never complained never gave any problems, never were any type of uh, 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 liability, uh, never were any type of uh, threat or caused any type of problems. And he said, I just want you to know that you should be proud of the kids in your youth group. This is part of the revolution. This is part of what it looks like in order to be part of something more than just a simple religion. Go to the next uh, image there. You know about our India angel tree and. Uh, what we do, and uh, you know every year there 's a hundred kids in the worst of the slums that are in New Delhi, and we provide Christmas for them and uh, this this is and this is fifteen dollars uh, that we ask and let, let me just let me just tell you you know that sometimes fifteen dollars we 're trying to get fifteen dollars for a hundred kids fifteen hundred dollars, and sometimes we have a difficult time making that i 'm thinking it 's fifteen dollars. <laughs> To go into the slums of children that are walking in human feces. But for those of you that give, that's your reward. And those of you that don't, I'm just gonna say, come on, it's $15. It's part of the revolution. A religion will say, it's uncomfortable for me to give $15, and the revolution says it's going to be risky, and it's going to be ugly, and it's going to be messy, and it's not going to be about my comfort, but I'm going to forego a couple Starbucks or whatever it's going to mean because I'm going to be a part of something bigger. Let me tell you about the current work that we are doing in India. Um, I I have a difficult time uh, promoting uh, when I feel like I'm promoting myself. And that means I have a difficult time when I feel like I'm promoting Reveal. Someone asked me, why should someone go to your church instead of the church down the street? And my response was, well, they, should, they can go to the church down the street as long as they're coming to Jesus. And Which I agree with. But they said, but you're missing something here. That Your church needs to know what they're doing together. And I said, well, I have a hard time because I feel like I'm promoting us. But let me promote us in the glory that we're bringing to Jesus. So we... Together, on our own, we have a, uh, a, a room in New Delhi that uh, we support um, basic computer classes for children. Uh, currently, in my last meeting with uh, Emmanuel Qureshi, he spoke here. Uh, we, he's our contact when we uh, go to India. Uh, currently, there's 58 students who are going through uh, four of their basic uh, computer classes. Uh, there are two basic English-speaking classes with 44 students going through that. Uh, We have a basic computer class for housewives uh, who are going through that, uh, of 14 students. I said, well, what's it like for the, the women? And he said, it is far more than a transfer of knowledge. He says something happens when these women, for the first time in their life, feel empowered and valuable and intelligent. He says, and over time, you see the countenance of a woman who has been seen as the bottom in society, who will begin to feel like she has something to offer society. We have guitar class going on with with seven students, and this is what your giving goes towards. We 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 we're paying the rent, and we uh, we'll, we'll pay for uh, the instructors, and we're got we're gonna have to give a pretty big drop of money because we're gonna need to get you know. Fifteen more computers that we're gonna uh, have to, to 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 do there, but this is what your giving goes towards. And let me just ask: if you're not giving to something bigger than yourself, you're missing what God has for you as part of the revolution. And I realize that we hate the money talk. Because the money talk means risk. And the money talk means you're getting me out of my comfort zone. And the money talk means I have to think of another kingdom other than myself. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, it's not about your kingdom anymore. So let me tell you our next commitment that we just gave. Uh, we're looking for, there's two buildings now that we, you know, help with, pay rent for. One we help with, one we pay completely. And now we're looking for a third building to start a school that will start with the kindergartners and once they graduate into first we'll go kindergarten first graduate kindergarten first second and so we're in the search for another building in the slums of new delhi to offer education to kids who get no education if it's if it's if it's just you know public ran through the government the stories there are horrendous and so that's what we've committed to we can't find a building here but we're gonna have two in india i don't know why that works but that's how it happens <laughs> this is you and so I met with Emmanuel I said, our church, we'll, this is us funding it. Nobody else saying, we'll take care of this. We can't do it unless other people are saying, yes, let's be a part of this. And very soon when we're ready to launch, I'm going to ask that you would sponsor a child. And that you would say, I'll give $25, $30 a month in addition to my, my offerings and giving at the church to sponsor a child to be able to go through and get some type of education that is what we need to be about that's part of the revolution and it doesn't happen unless we're communal in our activity and communal in our thinking we do india medical outreaches we have another one there in october uh we send a a team over Uh, we purchase the medication and um just you know try to to be a light to them and there's a little room off to the side that uh, we asked, you know, can we pray for them, and if they're open to that, we'll take them off to the side and pray, and we have another trip that's going uh, in October, and, uh, you know, we're, we'll do some stuff with education there as well to meet with some of the teachers because they're going to be getting ready to launch this, uh, this, you know, new project of doing more things with with uh, schooling and education. And so now we're going to try to operate on the education front and a medical front, and listen, I don't know where it's all going to end and we may get into this three years and and it falls apart. But listen, sometimes a revolution is messy and sometimes it's unpredictable and sometimes you make it up as you go, but better to try and fail than to do nothing. And so here's our opportunity of what it looks like. We have individuals who take time off of their schedule and pay an enormous amount of money to go and to serve other people in another country who have so much less than us. You know about... uh, resource rooms that uh, we're currently doing here locally and we have resource rooms in four schools and uh, that's the one in surprise elementary and go to that next image Uh, the one in uh, luke and do we have one more Uh, The one in Luke, and now we're giving away uh, food snack bags to uh, dropping them off at the school so when they'll need it. And that's our picture at the bottom of of our storage, which just, you know, keeps growing. God bless you for giving and for keeping it on your mind that when jackets go on sale, you're going to pick up a couple now because we know we're going to need them next winter and uh, food items. And and God bless you for for thinking outside of yourself and to give to, to a cause bigger than yourself. We have a letter out to our fifth school. Uh, haven't heard back. Actually tried to pull some strings uh, earlier, uh, later last week to say, look, if you can contact them, someone we already have one uh, school already, we're already functioning in. So if you can put in a good word for us, we would appreciate it. And uh, if we don't hear from them, we'll move on to the next school. But our goal is to have one in all eight schools uh, within our our district. To, uh, simply provide clothing and hygiene items and food uh, and school supplies for children who simply don't have it. I have a vision after we can get established there. of Maybe there's a way that we can uh, do something to go into some of these schools. And we'll put on, on an evening, let's do some type of relationship seminar. Now, you know, we can't go in under the banner of Christ. And so anyone who is raising children would be able to come. And I'll be honest with you, I have no issues with that. Because if we can impact the family to stay together, these children have a better opportunity. And so I have this, this idea of what if we can go in and, and we can do some relationship seminars and we can offer something for the children, maybe even do a dinner for, for uh, the, the people that come and we'll do childcare for their children and they can uh, do something and do some type of activity. And what's going to happen eventually? Someone's going to strike up a conversation and they're going to find out that, 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 that we're with a Christian church and then it will just start to seep out. And we'll have an opportunity to affect not only their physical, emotional, mental lives, but their spiritual lives as well. Uh, This doesn't even include the things that we have tried to be a part of with backpack outreaches and free haircuts and uh, painting libraries and painting over graffiti and park beautification and home repairs and uh, painting a clothing shop in El Mirage and city cleanup and tree planting and food for the holidays and... uh, That's part of the revolution. You know, we just scratch the surface. And part of the reason we scratch the surface, let me just be honest with you. If it has to go through me, there's only so much I can do. I don't wake up Sunday morning and I have a message in my head that I'm going to deliver to you. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. And so between that on days off that I typically don't get, and I'm okay with that. My kids are getting older, and so, you know, time off is like, what am I going to do? Sit around the house and do nothing anyways. But in order for us to get to where we're going, you have to be the catalyst. Meaning, what are your ideas? What are the opportunities and the stirring that God's placed in you when we're all communal, all doing this together? Then our effect begins to multiply exponentially. And that's our challenge. Listen, let me honor those of you that volunteer here uh, at uh, Reveal. It takes a large amount of volunteers to do what we do on Sunday. And you've heard me say that one of the hills we die in is that we're not um, takers, but we're we're givers. That we just don't want to be consumers. We want to be contributors to what we're about. And if you volunteer here, let, let me just say, you are a difference maker. And some of you volunteer here, not on a rotation. Some, in our children's ministry, volunteer every week to be with those children. Every week. We have greeters that volunteer every week. We have have, uh, people who just say, I'll I'll be here every week unless I'm on vacation or sick or something like that. My hope is is that we would all step up in leaving comfort and embracing something that's bigger than ourselves. Our regroup leaders that are sewing into individuals and taking time out of their busy schedules to to be the first line of pastoral defense. Now we need an entire foundation of church people who are part of that. That's part of the revolution. We have, uh, on on, uh, Easter is March 27th, we have a great Easter plan. Not just Easter Day, but we're starting a new series called Soul Crave on Easter that will go for about four weeks. Every one of us in this church should be inviting people to attend that Easter. And then being bold enough after they come to say, let's go out to lunch and let's talk about it. What do you think? And start to sow into their lives because that's how the revolution moves forward. We recently did a survey in the church last October actually. And we asked a bunch of questions and a large percentage of you filled it out. And there were two things that stood out that were disheartening to me. And one of it was that somewhere in the area of, of like 75, close to 80% of our church invites no one to come. Question was I invite people to reveal. Seldom, never, occasionally, yes. That's disheartening to me. Because we carry the message forward. And, and if, if if we're not willing to step out of the comfort of religion, to dabble a little bit in the risk and the discomfort of the revolution, we're missing the point. Of the message of Christ. And if you want to have a spiritual injection, uh, a lift spiritually in you, start to invite other people, start to share your faith, start to be bold enough to pray for someone at work that's going through a difficult time, I promise you, your spiritual development will shoot through the roof. It's just the reality. We cannot function as a church where 20% are inviting people. That's just... Do you, do you feel something's wrong? And it's not wrong because it's reveal. It's wrong because that's never what Jesus intended for his followers. He was saying, you're gonna be a revolutionary. And here's what it means. Here's what it looks like. Here's what you are part of. And so Easter is a great opportunity for you. Hey, our leaders in the church, I appreciate you and all that you've done and all that you're doing. Let me talk to some of our previous leaders that were involved. And for whatever reason, you know, if you're taking a break, I get it. There are seasons of life, and I'm not down on that at all because I've been through those seasons. But some of our leaders have stopped leading just because it's become uncomfortable or it's not convenient. Let me speak into you again to start to step into that moment to begin to lead and become part of the revolution. As a church, our effectiveness is determined by how many of us will not be part of a religion but by how many of us will be part of a revolution. I had a great experience uh, last week towards the end of the week. Uh, Last week was very difficult for me and then I think it was Thursday or Friday I got a text from someone said uh, you need to let me know if there's anything at all that I can do for the church to take something off your plate and the staff's plate. And I said well it's funny you should ask. I said because we have a, we're trying to plan a church picnic for April 3rd over at Surprise Park where we'll provide the burgers and stuff like that. We're getting ramadas, and you'll hear more about it. Hopefully you come. I said, so we're trying to do this, but honestly, I mean, I, I don't have the time to call the city of Surprise to, to start to go down that road. And, um, and, you know, we had it lined up, and the person uh, that was going to do it can't do it. And, and the next text back I got, don't worry about it, I'll take care of it. Next thing, five minutes. I'm getting emails of pictures of the surprise park that says, "Here's the ramadas. Here's how many they hold. How many you want? I'll go down. I'll get it reserved." And this thing just started rolling, and t- it was like to sit back and say, "That's the church, man. That's what that's what us as a community, all of us, should be involved in with in some way." The revolution is an older retired guy in our church. Who went down to El Mirage to replace the window casing trim around a home that was rotted out and was falling apart. Not his own time, with his own tools and with his own skill. Went down there and said, you know, I, I'll take care of that for this person. That's the revolution. That's stepping in to be the hands and the feet of Christ. Trying to plan another service day in April. Where... Uh, most likely it'll be on a Sunday and we're going to su- shut down Sunday service and we're going to go out and we're going to serve somewhere in our community. It's not because Sunday service isn't important, but it's because I-, I think there's something about showing the value that this is not church and this is not what Jesus intended the fullness of church to be, that when we gather and go out in our community, Jesus says, props to you, you're being the church. And so we're planning one in April. The sad reality of it is, is I know that when we do it, about 20% of our church, percent of our church will show up for it. And it's a cost that I count because I'm hoping it communicates something to the bigger picture of what we want to be about. You know we don't get on that day? There will be no offering taken, and we will suffer for it. But as I've always said, I've told our staff and I've told you, I never want to have a church where its agenda rises and falls on the offering buckets being passed. So, if we go out, then we go out. And if we lose some offering, then we lose some offering. You know, when we eat uh, Christmas, no offering was taken. Pancakes, no offering was taken. You know, that's about $18,000 that was not, that didn't come in. And then some of it is recouped next year. But listen, I don't want us to be a church that has to, the next month, some things will recoup. But I don't, I don't want us to be a church that, that, that we're consumed with the offering. What I want us to be is a church that's consumed with the revolution. And so I leave you with this. How can you be part of the revolution? You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see some type of uh, ministry that uh, helps single moms with simple car repair. I'd love to see it. I can't do it. First, I don't like to get dirty. Second, I don't have the time. But some of you have the time and the talent, and your wife loves it when you're dirty. Or your husband loves it when you're dirty. Ladies, I'm not excluding you from this. There's somebody in our church somewhere that says, you know what, I have the facilities or I have enough space that, that, that we can have six, seven, eight, ten cars come in uh, throughout a Saturday and we can do some simple auto repairs. I know there's somebody in here that can do that. But it can't be me. I can't lead it. I'd love to see some type of outreach to, to help the homeless uh, people that are even around our neighborhoods or in parks that are surrounding us. I'd love to see a ministry like that. I'm willing to support it, us as a church, financially, but I can't lead it. It has to be you, because you're the revolutionary. It can't just be me. It can't just be a few of us. It has to be all of us. And so I leave this with you. How is it that you can step in to be a revolutionary in your circles? And maybe you're going to have an idea, and if you have an idea, think it out. Just don't come to me and say, hey, there's some people that are homeless on the street. What are you going to do about it? That's putting it back on my plate. I can't. But if you come up with a plan, and you have something that you want to do, and we can get behind you, and we can start advertising it, we can gather some people together, and then we can go out and we can make a difference. So what does that look like for you? Here's what I'll leave you with. I hope that you can say with 100% confidence that I make Reveal a better church. That's what I hope for you. Now, I realize that we're all self-defeating in a lot of what we, how we live. And so many of you, you are serving and you're going to say, well, it's really not a lot and it's really not enough. That's, that's the enemy. Wipe that off. But some of us, there's, just, there's so much more that we can step into. And I realize we're busy. And I realize life is difficult. But I also realize that our time is getting short. And the message of the revolution has to go forward. And the way it will go forward is on the backs of Reveal Church. Stand with me and pray. So this message was not a message of guilt and shame. I hope it's a message that's going to stir you in some way to be part of the revolution. And I'd love for our church to partner together in some ministry idea that you have. I don't care how big or how small. All right, let's, uh, let's pray. So Lord, I, I'm convinced that you never came to just establish another religious opportunity of coming into an establishment and hearing someone speak and us leaving and going on our way, but that you came, that your kingdom would come among a kingdom of darkness that you would begin to disperse the despair and the guilt and the shame and the separation between humanity and God. It's always been your mission that your kingdom would come. You would break in among us. And I would ask that your kingdom would break in among us, our church, but not just within these walls, but outside of these walls. I pray that you give us creativity and dreams and visions and ideas that would hit us on ways that we can step out and be the light in darkness to serve our community, that our relationship with you would never just be personal, but it would be communal with others within the walls of reveal as then as we take it outside of the walls of reveal. It is my prayer, it is my hope, and so, would you stir us in those things? And I speak a blessing over those that reveal who are who are sowing into the front lines of of, of, of the ministry. They're regroup leaders and, and they're counselors and they're spending time and on the phone and texts and helping people through the most difficult seasons of life and sewing in to our children and blessing them and loving them and teaching Bible studies and all of those things and those who are making coffee and those who are on setup and all of those who are, who are saying, I am willing to give up some of my comfort to be a part of something bigger than myself. I just pray a blessing over everyone in that pool. I also pray that that would be ever increasing that today no one would leave without saying I want to be part of something bigger than myself where can I serve what can I do I pray that over our church I pray that over our church let us all be part of something bigger than ourselves And I bless you, Reveal. I bless you to step into the greatness that God has for you. I bless you to step into the use of your talents and your gifts and your abilities. I bless you to step into the creative elements that God wants to deposit in you. That we together would make a difference in our community and around the world. I bless you in that reveal. In the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. I appreciate you coming. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you down front. Uh, if uh, you'd like prayer, would you come down and let me or some one of our uh, leaders pray for you. Uh, we'd love to spend a little bit of time with you. God bless you guys. I'll see you next week. Hey, next week we have some exciting announcements as well. So uh, make sure you're here. You won't want to miss it. Bless you guys.